and this is what I say to people, right? You could be the best builder, tiler, whatever. You could you could be winning awards left, right, and center for the quality of your work, quote unquote, right? Um, and you could still fail in business because it's you're not going to be rewarded, especially in 2019, for being the best craftsman. There's plenty of starving yeah. artists around, right? Welcome to the Tradies in Business podcast with your hosts Warwick Bidwell and Nicole Cox. Divert your phone and grab a brew as Waz and Nick unpack tips, tales, secrets and stuff-ups from guests both inside and outside your trade, helping educate and inspire you to break the cycle of gut-busting and money stress and create a true trade business. Hey listeners, how are you? I'm good. Oh, you weren't talking to me. No, I was going to oh. come to you next. I thought you know. everybody talked to me. Well, some friends of ours have been talking to you recently. <laughs> how about I got a segue in? Boom, bam. Boom. Warwick's been out tomcatting around. Tomcatting. I don't mind the sound of that. It sounds much better than slutting myself around. Well, as I just said, you can tomcat in your own house. Don't tomcat in my house. There'll be no peeing on my furniture. Thank you very much. Yeah, yeah. I'll just be marking everywhere. <laughs> Now I um I was really stoked to get a call recently from the boys at Trade Mutt, mm-hmm. um, the dudes with the funny shirts. They're, they're very conversational. Those shirts. Jeez, I struggled yeah. for a minute there, but we got there. <laughs> so uh, the boys at Trade Mutt, Dan and Ed, are all about uh, starting conversations around mental health, mm-hmm. and so they have their very loud high vis shirts. I'm, I'm now the proud owner of two of them, actually. Are you? Yes, I don't wear either of them. <laughs> I'm going to have to invest in one, so I've got one at least. I'll give you one of mine. Um, yeah, I'm sure that'll fit. Yeah. Uh, well, well, you've got room got, for guns, got, so maybe it will fit. I've got big uh, big chesticles. Well, I was about to say, my chesticles are not going to fit where your chesticles <laughs> no. go. I've got chesticle envy. <laughs> so, dear idea. Actually, this is probably appropriate, given the uh, the trademark boys. There are a couple of lads. They are lads. Um, oh, no, let's not get back into the SHA lads conversation. No, that no, caused no, me no. so much trouble at home. No, but I was, I was pretty stoked. Um, just to have the opportunity to chat with the boys, um, they also have a podcast. Uh, 120 Grit. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, what do they call it? It's the podcast the for the working class. 120 oh, Grit. Oh, I like that. Sand, sandpaper. Of course. Yeah. Mm. So... <laughs> Now I feel like an idiot. I thought you said you were a builder's wife. Yeah, well, I never did the sanding. I don't like it. Clearly. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, the 120 Grit podcast with the Trademark Boys, Dan and Ed. Um, it's a pretty good show, actually. They've got some good stories on there. They, they they've got some good guests. Um, I think the standard went down a little bit when I actually appeared on the show. I was actually about to give you a good rap. Oh, okay. I was okay. going to say what a cracking episode is, and I really enjoyed it. I had some good feedback about it, actually. Mm. Um, so and why are you surprised by that? <laughs> Because <laughs> I'm sick of the sound of my own voice. Yeah, I understand that. But you're putting that voice out to a different audience. Of course, you're going to get some good feedback. True. Because you know what you're saying is important. Hmm. So the lads were kind enough to share the audio with us here at Tradies in Business and, um, and save you leaving our podcast and going to Dan and Ed's. <laughs> Sorry, boys. <laughs> you can listen to it here. But I know you're going to love it so much. You'll start listening to theirs as well. Yes. Um, and they have got some great guests on there they talking. Really do. Um, I guess just just tradey blokes sharing their stories. Um, They've had some ladies on too. Yeah. Well, okay. So tradies yeah. and not tradies even. Yep. Just people sharing their stories. Mm. Um, probably a focus on um, mental health and dealing with life in mm. general. Uh, and so I shared a bit of my story, but also talked about, I suppose, in a nutshell, what it takes to run a good trade business as well mm-hmm. um, and just, you know, how important that is as far as making sure that, you know, you live a good life. Uh, so, yeah, it was a good chat. Um, it was nice to, to go to the fancy studio there in uh, in Brizzo with the lads. Um, Brizzo. When Brizzo? did it become Brizzo? Brizzo. Well, it's not Briz Vegas. I don't get this whole Briz Vegas thing. It's Brizzy. 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 Um, Brizzo is like the Brizzy? new version, isn't it? It sounds Yobbo version. <laughs> <laughs> Anywho, I'm going to waffle a bit less because I already do that in this coming audio. You do. (laughs) Enjoy, listeners. I really enjoyed it. I'm sure you will too. There's an accolade for you. Righto, welcome to um, Trademutt's 120 Grit, a podcast for the working class. Episode 13, we've got a legend in the studio today, putting Ed and I both to shame because he's a level one CrossFit trainer. He's bulging out of his shirt over there. He's tight. He's also the founder of Tradies in Business and has 
quite a well-renowned podcaster himself. Welcome, Warwick Bidwell. Thanks, mate. That was very formal, actually. Yeah, it was a bit too uh, formal, wasn't it? It's the working class talking podcast, to my mother. Mate. Yeah. <laughs> was is uh, what everybody calls me, mate. Was yeah. Was actually, we were the first people. Your podcast was the first podcast we were ever on. Well, you can thank there my wife for that. Really? Yeah, she um, saw you guys online somewhere, I think, Instagram or something. I think you were fully clothed at the time. <laughs> and uh, she said, oh, you should check out these these trademark guys. They're doing some stuff with like mental health and that. And we'll obviously talk about it today, but it's something that I'm very passionate about and have a personal experience with. And, and I, at the time, I was toying with the direction of my podcast and I thought, oh, I want to do more stuff like you guys are doing with 120 Grits. So, yeah, it, it was Amy's fault that I'm now sitting here with you, Blake. That's right. <laughs> Bloody perfect. Yeah, well, bugger, but we met on the podcast. That was not in person. Obviously, it was over yeah. over, over the airwaves. And then had a little encounter in, in, the, in the car park of Dan Murphy's <laughs> up in Toowoomba. <laughs> we did. That we was sort of there loading some ice in the back of the car and wearing our trademark shirts and a familiar voice said, Oi! Yeah, yeah. I know you blokes. I was I was trying to hide, but again, got to blame the wife. She's like, hey, there's the trademark blokes. You should go talk to them. Push, them the, push me in the back. <laughs> Get over there. Yeah. Well, mate, thanks for coming in. No, pleasure. Bloody pleasure. excited Been to have a chat to, to you. Yeah. Uh, it, there's a lot of different things we'll cover today, which we're pretty excited about. Yeah. Do you want to, um, should we start with a little brief of tradies in business and sort of what that is and how you got into that and then we'll dive into some other stuff? Sure, mate, sure. Look, uh, I guess... Traders in Business came out of the idea from nearly 12 years now of, of business coaching uh, <clears throat> and that morphed into just working with tradies and I realised that basically I can't impact as many people as I want to just by doing it one-on-one. So I had to do something that was going to reach more trade business owners and actually make more of an impact on families in Australia and obviously the mental health piece as well. And so I had a bit of a chop at this a few years ago with someone else. It was called something different. Um, didn't really take off, just differing views within the partnership. I'm sure you blokes have never had an argument about uh, no. the direction of the, of the business We before. haven't had one today. <laughs> it's been it's at least 24 11, hours. It's only 11.30. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, Tradies in Business was, even the name itself was like, I was trying to come up with something cool, you know, like something marketing-y and fancy. And then it was like, I want to just freaking call it what it is. It's about tradies in business, you know, because that... Simples. It, yeah, exactly. Keep it simple. No guesswork. <laughs> so this is really, you know, we've, we've been up and running for 12 months now and we're starting to get a bit of traction, but basically um, just wanting to get uh, some knowledge and awareness out to as many trade business owners as I possibly can so they don't end up like my old man. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. and that's really what tradies in business is all about. It's It's... it's getting tradies to be as good at the business piece as they are at their trade. That's, that's, I mean, that's the tagline essentially. Yeah, right. That's so you mentioned your old man. So what's the, what's the story there? Yeah. Dad was a builder. He's certainly not anymore. Um, and we were chatting before you hit. Is that because he was so successful button. and he's retired? And <laughs> yeah, he's, he's retired. He's got his 53 foot Riviera and <laughs> yeah, no, that's crock of shit. <laughs> um, to be honest, dad's stuffed. He's, uh, I saw him, uh, for father's day recently and, uh, it's really hard to see the guy that used to have guns bigger than mine, you know, always be flexing. <laughs> but, uh, you know, dad, dad was strong. He was only a short bloke. He was five foot four. Um, but he always had these, these big arms, you know, I remember these big, strong arms and his chest and he was just this nuggety little bastard that, you know, he was, he was, uh, trying to cut the mustard with bigger blokes on building sites. And so he was a builder all his life and used to be a shed foreman, you know, putting up the big industrial sheds and all that sort of stuff. Bit of a jack of all trades, you know, did his own uh, plumbing and electrical back in the, in the sixties and seventies when you still could do that sort of stuff. Uh, but at 77 now, you know, I saw him on father's day and he can't walk from one end of the house to the other without needing to stop for a rest. He's on an oxygen machine. He's got, you know, heart issues going on. No one knows what it is, but you know it's probably from sucking in uh, spray paint and, and uh, silica dust and all that for years. And he, he hasn't got two dimes to rub together. You know, him and mum own their little renovated house uh, on the downs, the the Darling Downs. They've got a shitty old Commodore, and they just I just sold the caravan for them because they needed the cash. No super, no life insurance, nothing, no savings, and um, that's it. He's they're just surviving on an age pension. So it's it's such a shit thing to see when I know he busted his ass his whole life in a quote unquote business 
um, but never actually created a legacy. You know, he's, he's not going to leave anything behind for me and my brother. It's just, it's just all going to go with him. Yep. So, yeah, that's yeah. Uh, that's a big motivation for me with doing what I do with tradies in business and, and the work that I do with trade business owners is they're all sitting on this amazing opportunity. You know, it's like I see these guys and, and, and women in the trades now as well, you know. The trades used to be like a second-rate option when I was at school. I wanted to go on the tools with my dad. I wanted to be a builder. I used to labor for him as a young bloke, apart from getting yelled at a whole lot. Um, what are you doing that for? I bloody told you about that. Uh, but I wanted to go on the tools and, and be a builder. Um, my grandfather was a builder. His grandfather was a builder. Uh, my uncles were all trades. Uh, my grandfather on the other side was a motor mechanic, which was my second choice. Hated school. Um, I got, well, they call it bullying now, but I got picked on a lot because I was, I was a, a little fella. Didn't have the guns. <laughs> I wasn't packing heat back then. But, uh, but yeah, I hated school. Like I, just, I had no mates. I got picked on a hell of a lot. I didn't like being there. I suffered a lot of, uh, I guess, you know, probably anxiety and depression as a young bloke, although it was all undiagnosed back then. It was just, I was just the little guy that got picked on a lot and I didn't like going to school. Yeah. Mm. So I wanted to leave school at 15 and get a trade because that was what I actually enjoyed doing and I was good at it. I was pulling lawnmowers apart when I was 12 years old and, you know, Dad would give me old mowers to fix and that was where I was happy. Book work and stuff just, it just gave me the shits, but I was really good at it because I spent all my time hiding from the big buggers at school yeah. and in the library, you know, because yeah. they didn't hang out there. Um, so, yeah, I ended up going to university and studying business and, and not doing a trade, which I wouldn't say I resent my parents' decision for that because I try not to resent too many things in life or too many people, but I definitely, you know, I wistfully wonder if I'd gone into a trade, would I have actually built a business, you know, a building company yeah. and had employees and left a legacy and, you know, had that dream that I guess so many people have when they go into their trade business. And uh, I guess I've just come at it from a different direction. So I get to hang out with plumbers and electricians and builders and stuff now. And have to uh, get your hands dirty, mate. And I don't have to do the hard work, yeah. I can just sit in a cushy office like you blokes, air-conditioned, you know, hot women bringing you drinks like you know it's a piece of cake soft hand scenario just man. like the just like the mutt hut just like the mutt hut <laughs> yeah. Yeah. except it's Dan bringing me drinks yeah a bit in hot, the short shorts yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you mentioned that you come from a long line of builders yeah yeah so it's in yep. your blood oh absolutely but your old man didn't want you to get a trade no he, he was dead against it hey so is that because he wasn't doing it properly himself and couldn't see absolutely the, yep. yeah yep. opportunity yep so do you want to tell my story mate no no sorry, pretty sorry. Good sorry. Job. no <laughs> I think it's a secret to success for guests is take the piss out of the host of a podcast. Oh, you've you've done it now. Yes. Wait, yeah, you've done yeah. it now. I agree. That's how mine's done. <laughs> I'm so glad well. Ed was on the end of it, <laughs> not me. No, like dad's dad's dad. So my grandfather, he actually built a lot of buildings in um, PNG, Papua New Guinea, around the wartime. Um, and so I've got these memories of of seeing black and white photos of my grandfather, you know, building like old school timber construction um, up in PNG back in the forties. No nail guns. Ah, uh, they, they, they weren't called nail guns back then. They were nails on the end of guns. Like you know, maybe that's why I've got the guns. Yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Oh, by the way, I'm a dad, so I've got plenty of dad jokes. Yeah, no dramas. You'll fit in well around here. (laughs) But uh, no, I, you know, when it came time to sort of talk about, well, what are you going to do when you leave school? I was like, well, I want to be a builder or a mechanic. And it's like, no, you're not. You're going to to university. I'm like, I don't want to go to university. It wasn't, this conversation wasn't quite that succinct, but Mm. that was the essence of it. Like Mm. dad's whole experience with the trades was working his tail off, and never having any money. You know, he expressed to me a, a couple of years ago, um, tears in the eyes, he basically almost broke down. He said, you know, he just has always felt bad that he didn't provide for for my brother, myself, and my mother the way that he always wanted to. And, it, like, you can just see that he's gutted about it. And he can't do anything about it now. You know, he's 77 years old and that's it. Those Those cards have been played. And so his idea was that if I went into the trades, I'd be broke and physically stuffed for the rest of my life because yeah. that was his experience with it. And that was the experience of a lot of trades people, quote unquote, back then because the ticketing system, you know, it wasn't, it was a second rate option. If you were no good at school, you did a trade because yeah. at least you could go and work your ass off and make some money. 
and that's how he got into the trades in the first place. You know, he he came from a pretty rough childhood, broken home, alcoholic father, seven brothers and sisters. You know, he was beaten and abused as a young bloke and kicked out of home when he was fifteen. And <clears throat> so, what did he do? Went and worked with his hands because he was no good at schoolwork. Whereas I was the opposite. I was good at school, so he went, "Oh, here's the opportunity for my son. Here's his ticket out." Yeah. You know, but by the time I went to university, trades were starting to actually be, it's a profession. Oh, yeah. You know, professional plumbers, professional sparkies, professional builders. I mean, it is a oh, they're an integral part of the whole system. And we're stuffed we without them. them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you can't yeah. hide behind now with marketing, everything's on social media. You can't hide behind, you know, it's all, you're out there, your reputation's everything. And totally. you need to be proud of your work because there's competition in business and there's plenty of competition in the trades, that's for sure. Absolutely. And I was chatting to someone the other day. Doing a trade is now a first option. It's like it's the more sensible, more attractive option for a lot of people coming through school. And you, so this this guy actually said, "Oh, you know, if I if I don't get into a trade, I'll probably do a university as a fallback." <laughs> and I was like, and here I yeah. was thinking university back in the, the was, early nineties was my ticket to freedom. I was going to get the cushy job and the big salary, and the reality was very very different to that. I yeah. couldn't agree with that more, and I think. If I had my time again, I would do everything exactly the same. Getting a trade straight out of school was the best thing I ever did because not only was I learning a powerful, you know, good skill at that time that will always be useful, but I learned more about myself mm. than, than you know, I, I ever could have otherwise because that life experience, going to work, getting up that same time every day and turning up, working hard, it just instills a work ethic in you that is priceless and... You can always go back. You can. You can fall back on a uni degree, right? Yeah. It's just, <laughs> you can go get an arts degree. Yeah. You can't yeah. get an apprenticeship, you know, when, you, when your body starts to fail, but you can always get a degree when, you, you know, when, when things sort of break down, I guess. So. Yeah, totally. And it's, it's hard. Look, I've, I've actually toyed with the idea over, over the last sort of five years. I've had a few personal changes going in my life. And uh, I thought, you know what? Maybe this is the time for me to go and do an apprenticeship. You know, I've, I've lost everything. It doesn't matter if I go back to making 30, 40 grand a year or something like that. Maybe now's the time for me to go and do an adult apprenticeship. And and one of the things that stopped me from doing that was actually thinking about the number of people that I wouldn't impact doing what I do now. Yeah. And and actually, you know, even sitting on this podcast today, just hopefully sharing a story that will touch someone, but more than one person, you know, it might touch two or three people. And yeah. to me, that's, that's what I am driven by in, in business, quote unquote. Yeah, so most definitely. That's awesome. So where'd you go to, where, where, where'd you go to uni? So I, uh, born in Canberra, um, six years old, mum and dad packed up and moved to Queensland because dad's back was already starting to give him grief and his joints and, you know, back then they said, oh, it's the cold weather, you need to move to a warmer climate. So moved to this little tiny uh, backwater called the Sunshine Coast in Queensland back in 1979 and, um, promptly set up shop on the two and a half acres that they'd bought uh, basically over the phone because there was no internet. Obviously, back then, you couldn't just Google the block and have a look at, uh, you know, the street view. Wow. (laughs) So, you know, packed me and my brother up, moved to Queensland, set up a caravan, and Dad promptly went about getting work. Um, Was doing labouring work for some local guys while building our house. Two and a half years, we lived in a caravan. The bathroom was a garden shed. And uh, and I remember boiling the old Vicola urn like it was a, the big like 20 litre stainless steel urn that you see at the bowls club where oh, they get awesome. the hot water out of a cup for, for cups of tea that was what we did to heat the water up for the bath for two and a half years going to school locally so yeah grew up on the sunny coast um did uni in brisbane here uh good old bris vegas uh studied business majored yep. in accounting boring as magic eh? and uh came out of that and promptly went and got a job with a building supplies company because i wanted to be in the industry right right. so went and worked for monia roof tiles at that stage um they got bought out by pgh and then csr so i did a couple years um with that company and then um hated accounting and i was sick of brisbane brisbane back to the coast chasing biscuit and uh (laughs) took a job as a sales rep to the building industry. So my mum literally cried when I when I rang her to say, oh, I've got this really good job, you know, I'm, I'm going to be working as a sales rep, repping to the building industry, thinking, you know, mum would be like, oh, great, you're in the industry again, you know. She's like, oh, my gosh, you're walking away from your career as an accountant. I'm like, yeah, that's the point. I yeah. freaking hate it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. How funny. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so yeah, did that for nearly six years, actually, um, all around Queensland, you know, talking to builders and developers and, putting white goods into houses and stuff for them. So that was kind of cool. And then fell into financial planning, back to the books, more study. Um, 
took over a firm, so I was in financial planning for about seven or eight years, working with a lot of small business owners, mums and dads, helping them with their debts and all that sort of stuff. And it was 2007, so just before the GFC. Um, I was sick of the planning. I was working my butt off in a business where I was doing most of the work and getting paid the least amount of money, right? And uh, I actually, I got a business coach in to help us out, myself and my business partner, and saw what he was doing. He was like, oh, shit, this is how I'm going to actually help people, right? Is, look, I've got all these families that are trying to pay off their mortgage and, and do all this stuff, and they just got no cash. And a lot of them were tradies back then. Sunny Coast was a lot of tradespeople. And uh, it's like, why don't you just draw more out of your business, mate? It's like, Warwick, I can't. Like, I can't just pay myself more. There's no money in the bank. I'm like, what's wrong with you, man? So, yeah, the solution to me was like, that's it. I'm going to sell out. I'm going to be a business coach. And that was nearly 12 years ago now. Yeah, Uh, wow. And most of my clients have been tradespeople because that's what I do, right? My weekends are doing what tradies do. And, you know, I just, most of my mates, like, most of my clients were tradies, so yeah, that was when I decided. It's like you know what, I'm just going to work with tradies. It's it's my heritage. It's like it's you in said, your Dan. It's in my blood, mate. It's in your like, blood. If I can't swing a hammer or, or twirl a screwdriver, then at least I'm going to hang out with people that do. Yeah, <laughs> and, if, and if it all goes to shit, you can always start a secondhand lawnmower business. By the sounds yeah. of it, <laughs> I'll just fix old lawnmowers. Well, funnily <laughs> enough, my grandfather did that because he was a motor mechanic in Sydney for for half of his life. And uh, retired to Port Macquarie down in New South Wales there. And I remember him actually for cash because he was a bit of a unit. Like he'd, he'd, uh, he didn't mind, uh, what should we say, just um, helping some goods change hands for cash here and there that may not have been his. Uh, but basically he used, to, he used to race powerboats and stuff back in the 50s and 60s. And they'd dead set go and knock off engines out of cars parked in the street wow. to put in their race boats. He was a bit of a, bit of a unit. But, uh, yeah, I remember him fixing lawnmowers for cash. He was on the pension and he'd do this secretly on the side so that no one found out. And he had all these lawnmowers in the backyard <laughs> and that was how he paid for the fuel for the boat. And, oh, man. Oh, no, thanks. <laughs> yeah, good. So you live on the Sunshine Coast and you were married at the time? Yeah, I got uh, I got married at twenty nine ish, I think, the second time. We won't talk about that. First one didn't last very long, um, but that was like my first one was sort of where my my personal experience with mental health and and suicide um, sort of started was as a young bloke, twenty four. Uh, but yeah, remarried uh, at about twenty yeah eight twenty nine years of age, something like that, and uh, yeah. Lived happily on the sunny coast there for a whole bunch of years up in the Noosa area and, you know, got myself the big acreage property and all that sort of stuff. So life was pretty good, loving the coaching thing, you know, making good money, working with a lot of people, a lot of tradespeople. Um, and then, yeah, things took a bit of a left-hand turn uh, a few years ago for me. So uh, been a bit of a, a reinvention of myself personally. Yeah, right. So you're up there. Obviously doing business coaching, but as we know, any type of coaching, whether it's for business or, or otherwise, it's far more than just about your business or your sport or whatever. It's this, you're managing personalities and life has a whole lot of different sort of components that mm. all come together and impact mm. your business and all that sort of stuff. So you're sort of seeing a lot of colourful different types of people coming through, aren't you? Oh, yeah. And you know, people think business coaching is about business and there's a lot of people out there who are great at just business right and they're really important skills you guys would know you know running your show how important it is to know what's going on with the money and the marketing and the the people that you you got around you and your partnerships and what's your strategic vision and all that sort of really exciting stuff and all the wank words that go along with it Mm. um but that's not enough you know you could be brilliant at all the business stuff and actually still not make it and honestly, not achieve happiness in life. Yeah. Because that's, that's the thing that I've come to realise the hard way is that <clears throat> amassing nice cars and acreage properties and accolades, uh, you know, expensive watches, all that sort of stuff, they're nice things. Um, but that's not, for me personally, what success is all about. And it wasn't only about that, you know. I, I was all about family time and health and all that sort of stuff. But... I think um, a lot of us talk a lot of talk without really getting it. You know, it's, it hasn't sunk in for a lot of people yet. Yeah. And, I, and that's what I really want to try and bring to the table with 
tradies in business and, and the work that I do one-on-one as well is, is helping people to get it without having to set fire to everything in their life. Um, because I lost all that stuff. I lost the acreage property. I lost the fancy cars. I lost the marriage, you know, access to my kid and everything as we've talked about off air. Um, and once I did that, once I lost everything, it was like, yeah, that stuff, some of it was really important to me, but most of it was not, you know, it had become important, but it was more about me and who I was, you know, who I was as a man, as a, as a, well, then ex-husband, a father, um, a member of my community. And those things actually are more pivotal, in my opinion, to business success than having the best marketing strategy, the, you know, the best set of budgets and forecasts, all important things, but without the the people that are driving it actually being in touch with their values, their beliefs, their identity, you know, what's truly important to them and who they are being as a person, I think the rest of it is just short term. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk let's talk about that that journey when you you know, your marriage broke down and you know, you had a child. How how old was she? So uh, my daughter would have been four when it first fell apart. I mean, it had been happening for years, you know, 17-year relationship. Things happen gradually, as we know. Um, but, yeah, she was, she was four years old, uh, just, just turned four after we split, um, after my ex and I split. So, yeah, that's, that's been one of the hardest things for me is, like, that's a big cost. And the cost is not mine to be paid. The cost is actually being paid by my daughter, and that busts me every day. You know, it's Father's Day recently. She FaceTimed me for Father's Day because she lives in another state of Australia, <clears throat> and uh, I, I probably only see her three, four times a year in person, max. You know, it's, it's been sort of two to three times a year for the last couple of years. And, uh, yeah, she's paying the price every day for my mistakes, and, and that's a really shit thing to... To stomach as a dad especially of a daughter you know son it's, it's no less difficult but i guess you know that dad daughter thing daughter, is yeah, is yeah. um any any dad out there with a daughter will tell you that that it's a pretty hardcore thing hardcore bond and just that need to protect and lead my daughter and i'm not there you know she comes home after a boy's given been picking on her and i'm trying to coach her over facetime on how to deal with it you know and it's just it's and all you want to do thing. is hugger. Yeah, exactly. Uh, exactly. How do you manage that? How do you look? It it was super hard at the start. I, a big part of it has actually been so I've remarried since, and you know, met the love of my life. So you know, silver lining in in just about every cloud. Um, my wife, my, my now wife, has been a huge part of my support. Um, but a lot of it was actually taking ownership, and I had to step up and own my situation because the world around me wanted me to blame my ex-wife. You know, they want it's me easier to, to do fight. that. Oh, absolutely. Point the finger and, you know, she did this. And it doesn't matter how it all came to a head. The fact was I made a choice, you know. I could have stayed. I could have maybe changed it, been a, become a different man, stayed in that relationship. But I made a choice to, to end it. And it became a mutual choice. Um, but in owning all of that, I've actually freed myself from a lot of that, that negativity and the bitterness and, you know gone through another round of that recently where like my ex and I chat a little bit um my wife and my ex-wife both chat um online so they sort of message each other about stuff here and there and um it's it's all come about because of me as a man and the role that I've chosen to actually step into and up until that point life was shit you know I was like I was still bawling my eyes out 12 months ago, every so often, like I just, I'd be sitting there eating breakfast and it'd just all bubble out and, and, uh, you know, thinking about the fact I haven't seen my daughter for four months and haven't picked her up or, you know, I don't even know what the hell she does from one day to the next. And that was all me, mm. right? That was just, and people were like, no, it wasn't, it wasn't all you was, you know, she had a part to play in that as well. I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's, that's all cool. Like we all have a role to play, but my life has been my choice and all of my choices have created my life. And I think when people do that, especially blokes, um, but anybody, when, when you actually do that, you get this real awesome sense of freedom from all the crap that everyone wants you to believe that it's not your fault and it's the economy or it's the, 
you know, it's the changes to the tax law or it's your ex-partner or it's the school system or it's the speed limits on the roads, whatever the hell it is we want to blame or, or, you know, basically deflect that responsibility to. But when you actually own all that shit, it's like, well, if it's mine, I could actually do something about it. It's liberating, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. So it's hard mm. and, and I don't get it right every day. You know, still got a bit of a leaky face the other day because, you know, Father's Day and not seeing my kid and all that sort of stuff. Naturally. But you know, by and large, it's like, well, you know what? And I said to you fellas, you know, I'm living the dream. You know, I'm, I've, I've met the love of my life. I didn't actually know that a relationship could be that amazing. Mm. Um, so married her, about to build a house, uh, got a great business. You know, I'm hanging out with some cool people. Even you blokes, not too bad. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, relationship with my family's sort of taken a, a turn for the better over the last couple of years with my brother and... Um, you know, things are okay with the ex and, yeah, life's good. I'm fit, That's healthy. Good. i got guns, you know. Always wanted <laughs> guns. I wish I had these guns they, when I was 13 at they school. They barely fit through up. the door. Coming <laughs> in it's, it's the cotton on uh, kids. I suppose a, a, a key takeaway from that part there is that, you know, from the outside looking in, it might look like everything's rosy and everything's, you know, it's Warwick Bidwell bloke, man, he's killing it. Yeah, you know, yeah. He's got this Waza. awesome business and big was. Oh, you know, yeah. he's got the house, he's got the wife. and yep. But everyone goes through different... Shit in their lives. You you peek behind the uh, the front door at you know seven forty nine on a Thursday night, and as as uh, I heard someone say years ago, you know, I still sit down to take a crap. I still got to put one leg in each leg of the jeans when I put them on in the mornings. You know, they don't just like walk across the room and mm. fly onto my feet. It's like we're all we're all normal in that regard, yeah. right? And and we all fall over and skin our knees in life. And I guess I've just done it more than some people and. I also did it more catastrophically, I suppose. Uh, you know, like I, I literally lost everything. And uh, I, I almost lost my life through it all as well. Um, and it took that, unfortunately for me, because I'm a bit of a thick head, like my dad's a builder, come on. Uh, <laughs> and so was his dad and his dad <laughs> yeah, and his dad. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and the other side of the family were motor mechanics, so, I mean, you know, really. But thick is too short, thanks. <laughs> But uh, but you know, it for me, it took losing everything to actually wake up, and and wake up to what I had done to create that life. Such a reoccurring theme that again is like pe- co- people we've had in here and other other people that have got stories, you know, to tell. Mm. It's when they hit what their rock bottom is. Yep. To actually go out and, and make a change. And everyone's rock bottom is different, yeah. right? I used to compare my rock bottom to other blokes and, you know, I'd listen to podcasts and I'd see personalities and you guys have had some amazing guests. I've listened to some of your episodes as well. like, And I still listen to these other guys' stories and other people's stories, women as well, and I think, oh, wow, I've got nothing to complain about. Like, that's a really stupid thing to do but to that's ourselves. that's not what it's about. No, yeah, because, about. like, I might have had my ranger repossessed that, and that's it. That's my rock bottom. But for me personally, that could have been the catalyst for change yeah you know it's it doesn't have to be losing everything it doesn't have to be an attempt on your life and i think it's really dangerous for any of us to think that we can make our problems better by finding someone who's in a worse situation yeah because that doesn't actually change the fact that for me what i'm going through is shit house yeah and it's my rock bottom yeah, and I think that's that's another part of that ownership piece is I've got to own the fact that this is rock bottom for me, and what everybody else is going through is irrelevant. And it's also an important part for the other person to understand that what the other person's going through is okay. Like, yeah, that would be yeah. Like, you can come out of that if, if that's how you're feeling. Well, that, that's fine. Let's start working on it. It doesn't have to be. You know, we spoke about like the Greg Inglis thing, mm. and we had a guest in here, and they're like, "Oh, Greg Inglis, like, what's he got to be worried about?" You know what I mean? And he's just been going through all this depression and he's been you know hospitalized a couple of times so yeah. mate well what he's going through you can't even relate to because it's a completely it's, different life it's his not yours I mean, exactly yeah. so comparing yourself to anyone everyone is, is possibly the biggest downfall in society at the moment and obviously it's driven by social media and all that sort of stuff but comparing yourself to anyone else is just the most detrimental thing to your own oh it's so existence. incredibly destructive oh big time it can have a positive though it's not all negative like looking at, at other people are doing and being like, oh, you know, that I could implement some of that. Oh, and I can do yeah, that. Yeah, There's yeah. definitely an in, a difference yeah. between being inspired by, you know, someone else yeah. and, and doing yeah. it like that. I think that, that's an important yeah, thing yeah, to Yeah, for remember. sure. Yeah, it's what I, I, in my experience at least, it's what happens after the comparison. Mm. 
You know, I, I do it at the gym. I look at some of the guys. I've got a couple of mates who are just mad CrossFitters and, and they're, they're doing stuff that same age, I look at them and just think, how the freaking hell are you doing that? Uh-huh. Like, I've been training the same amount of years as you and I automatically compare myself to them. And then I can choose whether to tear myself down and go, oh, well, you know, clearly he's... Better. Or, or be a victim. <laughs> yeah, well, they, they are better. But... <laughs> But, you know, maybe it's his genes or maybe, you know, just his dad fed him better food or something. Like, that's all just – that's crap. Mm, you know, mm, what sure. would be better is to actually celebrate his achievement and say, mate, that's freaking awesome. How did you do that? Because I want to, like, get a bit more of that for me if I can. Yeah. Um, yeah. Rather than start to, you know, turn the spotlight on the self and, you know, invalidate ourselves or tear the other person down to make us feel better. I think that's the other danger. and. And a bit of the Aussie way with the piss take all the time. You know, there's a bit of that tear the other bloke down that's doing better. And oh, big that's, time. I oh, think it's that's an a easy, easy slope. Again, easy, mm. easy road to take. When you, when things started to unravel, I guess, in your marriage, were there key indicators and key points, you know, things that you just could have done differently looking back that, that just really contributed to the unravelling of it all? Yeah, there's... there's uh, there's one word that's really stuck with me through all of it. So when, when my ex and I um, basically, <laughs> I'll say, decided to separate, um, the events were, were pretty ordinary the way it came about, but, you know, it, it was the catalyst. Um, and she said something to me through, you know, the ensuing weeks are pretty wild. Like, you know, I've got a, a beautiful house on 10 acres in the Noosa hinterland. I've got a daughter. I've got a business. I've got a public profile. You know, I've got... European cars in the driveway and all sorts of stuff going on and like all of that and and I'm you know I've heard plenty of people describe this and I'm sure you know a lot of your listeners could identify but it's like just all crashes to the ground in an instant the night I found out what had been going on and and sort of you know there'd been a bit of I guess infidelity in in the marriage and um, it was dead set like being hit in the guts by the 7 p.m. out of Roma Street. Like, it was just, it felt that physically crushing. Because um, it was like everything that I'd worked my tail off for, for 15, 20 years just evaporated in that instant. So um, one of the things that, that my ex told me about, you know, why it had come to that was that I'd become indifferent in the marriage. And that word just, like, stabbed me in the chest when she told me that. It was like... I, I didn't agree at the time, but I realised looking back now that I had actually become so focused on, you know, making enough money and building a good enough business and providing the good things and the nice things and the holidays. Like it had become about all of that idea of success and being a coach, you know, where we're obviously uh, quite motivated and positive as a general rule. And so you're surrounded by a lot of that sort of culture. And I'd got really caught up in all of that. And it wasn't, until, you know, I basically had a good long look at, well, what do I need to own? What can I take ownership for in this whole thing, this whole situation? It was like, she's right, you know. I had become indifferent and just didn't realise that I had. And, like, for her, that was like, well, she'd lost connection with me. So, of course, she, you know, felt a bit lost and drifted off looking for significance and someone to pay attention to her. And, and, and that was actually my doing in a large sense. And I think men have a big a big role to play in all of this. And, you know, this is not a, a marriage counselling podcast, thank goodness for that, because uh, no one would pay for the advice. But, uh, <laughs> but I think men men have a lot to, to answer for in terms of where some of these things end up, you know. I, I think, yeah, there's, you know, equal opportunity and equal rights and all that sort of stuff, but men are leaders. We're, we're meant to be leaders. We were born to be leaders. It's, it's part of our DNA. It's wired into us. And to sit back and try and do this whole, you know, equal thing and halvesies thing, and I'll probably piss a bunch of people off in saying this, but, you know, I wasn't leading my family well enough. I wasn't being strong enough. I, I wasn't being decisive enough. And so, you know, my ex was carrying the can with some of that stuff, and I think it just wore it down. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, it, that was probably the big thing, mate. It's easy to make excuses. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's, that's a reoccurring thing in... I know a lot of, uh, you know, families that have been divorced or relationships that have broken down and it's, yeah, a reoccurring thing that it's 
these are all the reasons why. But it was, you know, it wasn't anything to do with me. Yeah. I had nothing to do with it. You know, yeah. like that. Well, it's well, so often bastard. the bl- yeah, so often the blinkers are on, and even just hearing what you were saying about your old man running his business twelve hours a day or whatever longer to keep providing for the family, keep the roof over his head, flogging himself senseless, mm. thinking that he is doing the right thing. That's right. To, to to you know to be the best provider, the best leader that he can be. But he's missing the mark, and that to him was the most important thing. And then maybe by the sounds of it, you were you know in a similar vein, you know, with with what so focused on the business side of things that, you know, for mm. the same reasons to provide, to keep the roof over the head, and to do everything that you think is the right thing to do to build a loving family, and it's not enough. Mm. And it's it's a story we tell ourselves, and I see this probably. Look, I see it with with anybody. In life, a lot of business people tell themselves this story. It's this narrative that runs in their head. And it's it's sadly really prevalent with trades and trade business owners is that unless I'm working hard, I'm not of value. I have to be working hard to working be of hard. value. Exactly. But And I think where that got misapplied for me was working hard was about how much time... Mm generally oh. i put into it and i see so many people just doing clients. shit for the sake of doing shit it's like why why are you spending hours on that like yeah. you know trying to work out the right hashtag for your for your instagram feed it's like how is that even important when you've got a missus at home waiting to yeah. see you yeah. it's like oh well you know i gotta i gotta put the work in to get the results it's like no you don't you, you've got to put the work in but you don't have to put the time in that a lot of people put into their businesses yeah. and when you say yes to that you're saying no to something else and, you know, in me saying yes to a whole bunch of time in my business and going away for, for conferences and, you know, networking events at night and all that sort of stuff, I was saying no to connection with my ex. That you gives know? you an excuse, though. Absolutely. And that's why a it's lot of people do it. It's yeah. just like, oh, well, no, I have to do this. So I'll name totally. That. And it's just a bullshit story we tell ourselves. Yeah. You know, my dad thought that by working harder, he'd actually get more for us as a family. And the reality was, like, he probably would end up with the same amount of money anyway. And what we really wanted to hang out with our dad, you know, you wanted, you wanted him. I home, wanted him yeah. to teach me how to ride a motorbike, but that never happened. That yeah. never happened, right? Well, let's chat about some of the reoccurring things that you see through your business. So, like, you work obviously with a lot of tradies, and mm. majority of our audience is tradies. What is coming through the door? What's the main problem that you know early stage and like small business owners out there have? What are they coming to you with? I think the early stage diagnosis, mate, <laughs> is uh, an addiction to uh, working harder, as, as we've just talked about, and, and this idea that business has to be hard. Like growing a business, being successful, it's hard. It's a challenge. Um, you know, it takes a long time. You've got to do, you know, if you do 40 hours a week, well, 60 is better, um, and that's going to get me there. Uh, that's That's one of the, I think, really dangerous approaches to business. Um, but some of the most common things is just people working their guts out, you know, 50, 60, 70 hours a week. I had a young bloke a while back working over 70 hours a week. So he's on the tools full time doing a, you know, a what? 40, 50 hour week on the tools. And then either side of that bracketing the day is paperwork and bookings and, you know, trying to follow up quotes and doing quotes, you know, doing drawings, all sorts of stuff. And that's five, six days a week. And, you know, it's it's just this, uh, oh, I don't know, I, I don't want to be too critical of everybody. but uh, And look, I've learned this the hard way as well. But, it, but it's just the idea that more is better and more is not better. Um, the other thing is, is just not learning more about business. You know, it's, it's not actually that complicated, right? You guys have probably figured that out. Money in, money out. Um, you got to do things that bring the money in, and then you got to limit the things that make the money go out. Yeah. Um, business itself is a simple formula, and we teach our our members and our followers, you know, some of the simple side of business. And I think it's actually be, been made really complicated by a lot of people, um, particularly in the trades. It's like, and this is what I say to people, right? You could be the best builder, tiler, whatever. You could you could be winning awards left, right, and center for the quality of your work quote unquote right um and you can still fail in business because it's you're not going to be rewarded especially in 2019 for being the best craftsman there's plenty of starving artists around right um you've got to be good at all of it and in actual fact with trades being such a fantastic first option for so many people you know there's a lot of talk in this country about the skills shortage but i see a lot of skilled trades out there 
it's probably easier to employ a tradesperson these days than it is to find someone to work in your office. Yeah. Because there's so many people doing trades that there's a there's a fairly big pool of talent. Do you, do you think that tradies are harder to upskill in the business side of things? Because, you know, obviously the journey to become a builder, you do your trade, you come yeah. through, and then you're all, you know, whiz-bang, I can do everything on the tools, now I'm signed off, yep. now I want to start my own business. But, you know, when I did my mature age apprenticeship, there was no business coaching at all. Mm. You know, you just get to the end and you're signed off and you're like, sweet, away you go. And I know a lot of people, like, that we've worked with, again, really good chippies, they didn't want to upskill in the actual business side mm. and it just destroys them in the long run because they're not, not profitable. How many people yeah. do you tell, oh, this is what I do? And Blake's like, don't need that, mate. Too many, mate. Too many. Too many. I, I think too many trade business owners or tradies, are, I, don't, I don't know if they're scared to learn about it or if they've convinced themselves that they can't learn about it. The number of times I've heard over the years of, oh, well, I'm just no good with numbers. Mate. I'm just a dumb tradie, mate. Exactly. I'm just a yeah. chippy. I'm just a tiler. I'm just a dumb mechanic. And it's why like, is that? I, I I challenged them on that. It's like, where did you get that shit from? Yeah. What's just a dumb mechanic? Where? Why is that? I don't know. Maybe it's a society thing. Um, maybe it's just the people that are attracted to the trades are still, you know, maybe university wasn't the option for them and while i talk about here you know the beautiful uh unicorn farts and everything about trades being the first option i think the reality is still and you've only got to look at the media right at, at the tradie bashing to use a wank word but tradies are seen as this um other part of of business you know this other part of society almost yeah. and it's shit house. I got really fired up the other day. I stopped at the survey to fill up with fuel and I see the marketing, you know, Tradie Tuesdays and it's a picture of a frigging sausage roll and a, a Coke and it's all shit food. And I, and I sat there, I took a photo of it and I was going to jump on Instagram and have a big rant as Woz tends to do. And, uh, and I thought, this is bullshit. Like tradies, just because you're a tradie doesn't mean you eat shit. Like mm. plenty of accountants eat shit. Mm. I did for years. And... I was going to have this big rant and then out of the survey comes two blokes in high-vis with sausage rolls and, <laughs> and ice breaks. bastards. Yeah, yeah. It was like, marketing. damn it, I can't, I can't do that now. But yeah. yeah, it's like there's there's this sort of undercurrent of tradies are, you know, they drink more, they're, they're more likely to get in fights, they eat shit. Like it's just a really crappy But um, they fall into persona. that zone. They fall into that quite easily, that whole marketing side. Like most people do. Sure. I think yeah. that's... Yeah, it is that reoccurring theme. But it's interesting. Like, How are you breaking through to, to blokes, though, to say, look, this is, you know, you guys need to upskill in this, this side of your business? Because I could, you could be working, you know, like you're saying, 70 hours a week. Mm. I can, you can be working 40 and making the same money. Exactly. Like, how do you? I, I think a lot of it is actually getting them to become aware of what they're doing. And, and it, it's the old story about you don't know what you don't know. And th- and that's where tradies and business so was born. Get out, out there, find out what you don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? I used to, I used to, I've spent a lot of money over the years, hundreds of thousands of dollars on my own sort of, you know, non-university education, which has actually been much more useful than the three years I did at, at uni learning about business and accounting, which didn't teach me shit, by the way. Because you don't have something to implement it into. Well, not only Is that, that it? but it's but it's textbook theory. Imagine sitting down and reading the bloody timber manual. As a as a young chippy, mm. doesn't make sense until you start you pitching a roof. About, exactly yeah. right. You're not going to go and nail up a frame just by reading a friggin' book. You got to get out there and actually Make implement. Mistakes. I've I've learned more in the last twenty years by running my own businesses and coaching people mm. in their own in, in their businesses than I could have through fifty friggin' university degrees because it's all theory and you know what? It's all written mm. by a bunch of academics who yeah. don't actually with all due respect, don't live in the same world as trade business owners. Yeah. Um, so I, I used to have a mentor and say, you've got to think outside the box. And I'm like, how do I think outside the box when I'm in the in box? I live in the box. Mm. Like I can't just think outside the box. So I think programs like ours, and, and there's plenty of good ones out there, need, well, have an opportunity to show people what they don't know and say, here's some stuff that you might not know. Have a look at all that. Any of those things make you a bit yeah. scared or weird? 
it's like, holy shit, yeah, I didn't know, I didn't know all that stuff. Mm. Like, cool. Well, if you learn about these things, that's actually going to change your life. Yeah. Do you think it's a massive problem? And this is what I've seen from my own experience as well. You come out of your trade, you know, and you walk straight into, you know, doing business for yourself, but it's fast paced. It's got to be fast and you've got to keep the work coming in and you've got to keep flogging it and keeping the boys going. And then taking that leap where you want to upskill or you just stop, you got to break that cycle of doing the same old thing every day, mm. it seems to be such a huge problem, you know. That point there where you where you take the leap of faith and you're like, righto, this is when I'm going to change I'm going to take it to the next level. Yeah. All right, I'm going to change this. Because uh, then because if you stop, the money stops and, the, and, you know, everything stops, right? And that's the, that's the mentality, right? But so you, you said something really important, Dan, is, you know, you, you get your trade and then you go into business for yourself, right? But you didn't. What you did was you, you found some other people who were going to work as tradies with you. You give them some money. You don't actually have a business yet. Right? You're actually a self-employed tradie. So you work for yourself. And that's what my dad did his whole life. He never had a business. Yeah. He worked for himself. So it's why it's called self-employed. Right? You're working for the biggest lunatic on the planet. And that's you. <laughs> right? Because they don't give you breaks. They don't pay your annual leave. They don't let you have weekends off. They don't let you sleep at night. They're constantly annoying the shit out of you about all this stuff you've got to take care of. Yeah. And that's your boss. Right? So self-employment is, it can be a nightmare until you actually transition into the business that I guess a lot of people have that epiphany one night at 3am when they're sick of lying, they're sweating about the invoices and the quotes and the how they're going to pay the wages tomorrow. Um, and they go, that's it, I've got to change something. That's when they actually start to go and find out about business. Yeah. And they might have been running their, their business for 10 years before that or 20 years. I've seen people come to me after 20 years in business, quote unquote, and they're still working the hardest. They're yeah. doing the most time on the tools. They're the ones that are going out at four o'clock on a Saturday afternoon to do a job because none of their employees will do it because you can't actually make them go and do that stuff mm. on a weekend. The right? buck stops with you. But the business owner goes and does it because yeah. like, oh, but if I say no to that $150 job was, that might be the end of my entire business, mm. which is just such a crock. But I think it, it's but mm. people like you know, sitting around telling people how busy they are. Exactly. Oh, mate, oh, mate I'm so busy. Wear it like a badge. It's like, oh, mate, I work so hard. My, my dad's done it his whole life. Yeah, look he, at that. He yeah. talks about his struggle. He's defined by his struggle. I wonder what, it's interesting, I wonder what the end point is for so many operators out there. I wonder what that vision of success finally looks like. At what point do they know that all the hard yards that I've done have paid you know, yeah, what are they? But uh, I don't think enough people are probably setting goals. Like, do you have enough people that come in and you're like, righto, what's your goal for this year? They're like, uh, to keep the business going. You're like, oh, yeah, sweet. You've, you just nailed it, mate. That is the most common response I get over the years of whether you want to call them goals or intentions mm. or ideas about the future. It's like, so, mate, what are you, what are you creating here? It's like, what do you mean? <laughs> like, well, well, what do you want to achieve? What do you want to get out of your business? Like, yeah, mate, if I can, if I can just make another 10 grand this year, I'll be happy. And that's the sort of thinking that mm. is not akin to a business owner. That's the thinking of an employee, it's of a wage earner. Yeah. Because that's where we started out, right? I started in a job. Yeah. I started out looking at my salary and I figured out how I could save a little bit of that or, you know, buy another Commodore and, and you know, colour code all the bumpers and shit Lower in the garage. It. Oh, yeah. I had a VL. A Milo tin on the back. 86 of VL point. Commodore. had the Pursuit wheels. I got the whale tail spoiler kit. I sprayed it up in the garage. Oh, my I. God. <laughs> <laughs> but that, Fully sick, but yeah. I, I think it's interesting. Like the our last podcast with Rob Gray, his mindset compared to your everyday yep. business owner, it's like he's found his niche. He looks at he's fully on about the team dynamic, making sure that everyone's across everything. Their communications up. Uh, they're setting goals. Mm. Like he's you know we do eight to ten, one to two point you know two million dollar jobs yep. a year, and yep. then that's it. And now we're trying to branch into, you know, low level, um, like apartment buildings and mm. stuff like that. But he knows exactly the direction he and his brother are taking their business. Mm. There's so many tradies out there that are just, you know, better get into her again on Monday and we'll just keep cracking along. Yeah. Well, it's interesting, right? So we're only, population of Australia is only growing rapidly, right? So that's only going to lead to more houses and a bigger, you know, market for construction, building, all that yeah, type of stuff. Huge. So what can 
a, a business, well, a self-employed tradie out there at the moment, what can they shoot for? Like, what can they achieve? You know, by by putting a bit of structure around around their business. Oh, mate, we've we've got young guys, you know, like probably your ages, you know, twenties, mid twenties, late twenties, early thirties, personally making two, three hundred thousand a year from their business, and working maybe forty hours a week, thirty, forty hours a week. Uh, you know, they got managers in place. Uh, we we got a guy. He's got like, I think his count is like twenty five staff, and uh, you know, this bloke's thirty three or something, thirty four. Yeah. Um, in a trade, he started out. He sort of started working with his dad, and then went on the tools himself. They had a half a dozen fellas, and um, and this bloke's taken over the business ten years ago. And in 10 years, he's got a $3 million business. He's pulling 300K. He's got investment properties. He's, you know, got time to spend at home with the family. He's every second Friday off. Doesn't ever work weekends. Doesn't answer the phone anymore. Like, he's got yeah. teams he's got that freedom. do that. Yeah. Yeah. But you know what? He's he's stressed out sometimes. Can you tell me why? Because he's not doing enough. Because he's not working. Because he's like, I feel bad. Was. I can't sit here with my own thoughts, Was Give I, me something to do. I feel bad going home at... 12 o'clock on a Friday when I've got staff out there working in the in the 35-degree heat, crawling under houses. Like, I just can't do it. I'm like, mate, this is what you've worked for. This is what you've worked this, hard for. This is for. why you once crawled under houses. That's right. <laughs> but to him, he's just a dumb trade, Trady. right? Yeah. And so he's got this, and it's an identity thing. It's one of the biggest things I, I find. Even when people come to us and say, righto, that's it. I want to turn this thing into a business. What do we do? And we teach them all that and they implement some stuff and it goes really well and they start making more money and then they get to the edge of the cliff, right? And and it's like they can see that they can jump to the other side where they, they're like, you know, your previous guest talking about that true business, right? And that means letting go of their identity as a tradie. Mm. And I find that's actually one of the big hurdles, especially for the men out there, is coming to terms with the fact that having a trade business is not the same as being Thank a tradie. That. Right, and we we all become so attached to our identity as whoever we thought we were, yeah. And that's what needs to change, and that's where I love to to work with people is is in shifting the way they see themselves, the way they think about themselves, about business, about you know being a dad or a wife or a leader. That's where where I love it's to work mi- with people. It's that yeah, mindset. Awesome. It's that mindset. So when someone comes to you, what does it look like? What do those first steps look like when you take the plunge? You know, right? I'm gonna I'm gonna go. Spend a bit of time with Woz and see if we can <laughs> get this shit running smoothly. What does that? Well, yeah, what do those first stages look like of, of breaking it right down? The the first thing generally is to look at the boring business stuff, right? Because you gotta you gotta have some fundamentals in place. I mean, business is business. You guys know that, and and your listeners probably know that as well. You know, you got to look be, look at your cash flow and marketing and systems and your recruitment and you know what you're doing with your staff, culture and all that sort of stuff. So you've got to have that in place and that's generally the first step is to make sure that you've got that in place and, you know, depends on the business, depends on the person as to how much work they've got to do to get some of the basics in place. But running alongside that is actually starting to ask the hard questions about, so what are you doing all this for? Like fast forward 10 years, mm. what what's happiness look like for you? And like you guys were saying, most, most of the time it's like, mate, if I'm still alive and I can get out of bed and there's this sort of, you know, bullshit tongue-in-cheek humor about it like again it goes back to that working hard thing yeah and so it's actually challenging people to think about their life you know the way i was in some ways forced to do where it was like hang on i'm 43 years old i've just lost everything that i know what is actually important to me in life and so I've actually, I've been rebuilding my life based on a new set of values, you know, around time, around family, around money. Uh, you know, it's just, it's a very different setup, even in my own businesses and how much time I do in those and how I structure all of that based on knowing what my values are and what's important to me. Yeah. Um, and that's a big piece for, for people to actually make change in their business is to have a look at themselves and go, well, what the hell is important to me? Does this business actually support that? Yeah. Do, is this direction supporting that? Or do I need to do something differently? How often do you see tradies that are in business that have financially stressed themselves out with the credit card and the debts that they hate being a tradie and they can't go do anything else? Do you see that? Is that often? Paint themselves into a corner, yeah. Yep, because it's the just the pathway they go down. Mm. And sometimes changing that's really, really hard, but you can always change it. Mm. 
it's hard to break the mould sometimes, though, isn't it? I think a lot of people find it super hard to bust out of that, you know, image of what life should look like by getting out of school, getting a career, getting married, having kids, and then passing it on to them to do the exact same thing, right? Absolutely, yep. But that's pretty. It's kind of bland. One of, one of our guys is a, well, he was a roofer. And for him, rock bottom was falling off a roof and breaking his back in four or five places. And that was his catalyst. He was okay. Luckily, you know, still getting around fine, no wheelchair or anything else. But that was enough of a wake-up call for him to go, I I can't keep doing this shit. i got, you know, two or three kids, whatever he's got, and a wife. And and so for him, he actually then learned about business. Yeah. You know, he went and actually invested time in his own education about – so what's this cash flow thing everyone talks about? And and yeah. what about collecting money from people? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Profit margins. So, yeah. so true though, but isn't it funny? You can listen to every podcast in the world and that's all great. No, we no, can, just listen to this one. You can talk. <laughs> just listen to this one. And mine. Mine was yeah. it, sorry. You can listen to 120 Grit and you can listen to Trades in Business till the cows come home. But sometimes it's not until you have that life-changing moment or that, you know, a bit of trauma or something that just like snaps you yeah, out of it. Yeah, but they need that. They, they need that little push, and yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's, and like, it's not no matter how much you listen to it, it oh, doesn't. And that's that's the reality of, mm. of the whole thing, isn't it? Like yeah. it's it's, it's mainly with a choice. Lead a horse to water, absolutely. And and I think you know something I want to do is lead more horses to water so that they've got the choice. Yeah, and and they can see that there is an option. Yeah. Whereas a lot of people out there just go, yeah, but this is it. Mm. This is as good as it gets. That was my dad. You know, being a tradie. Warwick, you're going to be physically wrecked and broke, so you're going to university. Don't do this, was exactly. What would you, what would you say? Would something that every trade business out there can implement now that will instantly help them? Like, what is the first one easy thing to just look at this or start working on this? I reckon the biggest thing is for them to start looking at their numbers. Measuring everything and looking at their numbers. I know that's the boring part that, that I just said before, you know, the boring stuff, that's that's not the most important piece. But in terms of starting that realisation that, geez, I don't know what I don't know about a whole bunch of stuff here is instead, and I'm not, not, not talking the bank account, right? Looking at the bank balance at the end of every day to see if you can pay the bills tomorrow, that ain't looking at your numbers, yep. right? I'm talking margins on jobs. I'm talking all of your overheads compared to a budget, uh, your cash flow forecast for the next 30 days, uh, how old all of your debtors' payments are, you know, your accounts receivable. It's like how overdue are all of those and how much have you actually got sitting out there that people owe you? How much work have you got in the pipeline as far as dollars signed up on quotes? Like actually drilling into all of those numbers because that's the one thing they do teach you at university and through accounting is the language of business. And the language of business and knowing whether your business is doing well is numbers. Yeah. And you can sit there and tell me you're a dumb plumber or a dumb spray painter or whatever and you're just no good with numbers and you know what? That's going to be your lot in life. Yeah. Until you choose to actually, you know, put that shit to bed and go, you know what? I suck at numbers so I'm going to go learn about numbers. Right? I bought a mountain bike recently. I suck at mountain biking. So guess what I've been doing? YouTube videos on how to ride a freaking mountain bike. Yeah. Right? You just bloody pedal the pedals, was. <laughs> no, you you're going down a hill. You just bloody yeah, hang yeah. on for dear yeah. life. Just go faster, was. You'll be fine. <laughs> Mate, that's, yeah, it's awesome. And I think there's and probably a lot of tradie businesses out there who are, I mean, yeah, from my, yeah, my experience, as a tradie or self-employed, you know, trying to be a business owner, you are stuck in between suppliers, clients, all these sorts oh, of things. Hard, and you're dealing man. with high... Numbers, yeah, big numbers. Yeah. Materials are expensive. Invoices are expensive as well, you know, and you're all on 30-day accounts and all that sort of stuff and yep. Yep. waiting for payments and all of those kinds of things. And uh, you, it's not just dependent on you sometimes, is it? You know, you're, you're relying on other people to Mate, pay there's you. There's a lot of zeros flying around. A lot of, yeah, a lot of and, moving parts. And a lot of responsibility and risk these days. I mean, we've got had some really good changes across industries with safety, with compliance, um, you know, we've got some funky stuff going on here in Queensland with a uh, particular industry commission, um, you know, in the spotlight a fair bit. Uh, and so there's been some good changes, but that also brings with it a hell of a lot of risk to a trade business because, you know, you're responsible for the personal safety of all of your employees, um, for the quality of the work that you do. People can come back at you down the track. You know, there's legal implications with all of that stuff. Yeah. So wouldn't you want to actually make sure that you're doing all that properly? Like you wouldn't just jump in a friggin' Cessna and go, yeah, I, I watched a few YouTube videos on how to fly a plane. I reckon I have a crack at this. 
Like that's what a lot of tradies are doing with their businesses. It's like, yeah, you know what? I got I got a trade. I can build houses. I'm going to go into business. Yeah. I got myself an ABN. We're sweet. Let's go. Hook in. I heard a story of a kid who had to land a Cessna on the weekend. It was his <laughs> first flying lesson and they took off and the pilot, his, his instructor pilot slumped as soon as they took oh, off. Yeah, he landed it though. And he got on to air, to and he got on air traffic control <laughs> and he's going, oh, well, me, me instructor's just slumped here and I'm... <laughs> Got control of this Being thing, so set. they're talking him through it, and they're saying, "Geez, you're doing a really good job here. Keep, you know, keep it going." And he goes back to the radio control. He says, "Yeah, well, you know, my instructor did say I was the best, you know, <laughs> student that he's had so far. This is first lesson. <laughs> what a what a what a goer." What, um, what I was going to say before that Cessna. Yeah, that was a good story, mate. Mate, yeah, oh, thanks. <laughs> I've got plenty out. more. It's good um, analogy. I like analogies. I think what what is becomes bleedingly obvious is that this stuff that we're talking about here around structuring businesses and you know establishing everything needs to be done straight away immediately like yeah. yep. when you are just getting into it if you, you can start, start right yeah if you can start right set the foundations and establish everything you know in a scalable fashion well build it like you build a house mate well then yeah start exactly. with your foundations you, you don't analogies yeah <laughs> pull some string lights come on mate you're gonna have to catch Flick up it out <laughs> But that's the thing, right? You do a building apprenticeship. They don't just stick you on a you know a million dollar build in Tenerife as your first project. It's like there you go, man. Good way to learn. Just yeah, jump straight in. in. Here's the plans. And that's and that's how so many people start their business. Like, you know what? I'm just going to have a chop at it. Now I'm all for having a go, and I think one of the best ways to learn is to actually have a go. And I think a lot of us have have sort of lost a bit of that Aussie. Just get in and have a go, mate. And I think that's a really good way to learn. But, geez, you'd want to do it after having Calculated watched a risks. few YouTube videos first, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> YouTube, how do I start business? How to pitch how a do roof. I, yeah, 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 I, yeah. Well, there's probably some content out there. Maybe I need to get on YouTube, mate. mate. Oh, you can learn anything on YouTube these days. Always be flexing. Love it. Well, it's been great, Was What would you be? What would be your first tip to anyone out there that wants to start their own business? Well, apart from going to tradies in business. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think um, figure out what you don't know about business first, which is hard. You know, that's like thinking outside the box or outside the square. But go talk to some people in business and, you know, talk to some of the other tradies, the, the subbies or, you know, someone you know that's that's been in it for a while or, yeah. um, you know, made a meal of it, whatever. But just go say to them, what do you wish you knew? Yeah. And, you know, well, that quote we heard the other success day, success leaves clues. Absolutely. I knew he was going to whip that out. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Success he had that one clues. written down there. Yeah. He's been going to be busting that out for there the last hour. Yeah. Chick. Awesome. Awesome. Well, mate, uh, been a great chat. If anyone out there listening wants to get on to you to, to chat a little further, find out about, you know, what you do, although we know what you do now. Yeah. How, yeah. Can, we, how, can, we, how can we find you? Look, easiest way is go to Tradies in Business. So, tradiesinbusiness.com.au. Um, we've got a, a growing group on Facebook, which is wicked. There's some amazing trade business owners in there. Some of our clients as well in there sharing their knowledge. So, if you go to the groups and, and find the Tradies in Business group, um, but we're all over social media as Tradies in Business. So, pretty much anywhere you'll see me and my guns um, <laughs> just hanging out. Cool, mate. I shouldn't have mentioned that at the start. Should I? <laughs> You're not the first it. person, mate. <laughs> oh, well, love it, mate. Appreciate your time. Thanks, and, boys. Uh, mate. Keep in touch. We'll, we'll catch you again soon. Down good on your walls. Yeah. We'll do. <laughs> See you in the car park. <laughs> yeah. We'll do a deal in the car park. Ooh, Thanks, sounds mate. good. Thanks, Thanks mate. Right See you. You've been listening to the Tradies in Business podcast with Warwick Bidwell and Nicole Cox. Find out more about today's guest, tools for your trade business and other cool stuff at tradiesinbusiness.com.au.